Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 332. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. So good to see you again. I guess I should have said hola, Perry, because I just came back from Spain, but we'll talk about that in a minute. On today's show, we're going to answer questions about whether it's okay to use body lotion on your face, if creatine or other products strengthen hair, self-tanning products, blow-drying and air-drying hair, and products marketed for babies. How are they different? But first, that chit-chat. Yeah, Valerie, last uh, episode I did by myself because you were, I think you were in the air coming back home from Spain. You went to In Cosmetics, which is uh, an ingredient, an industry ingredient show. How did that go? It was a really fantastic show. It was really huge, hard to get around and say hello to everyone uh, that you know or that you don't know, learn about new ingredients, see innovation, see old friends. Uh, It was totally awesome. I really enjoyed the venue. They had great concessions, which is hard sometimes at these trade shows. Sometimes you have these really gross food halls to get food at, and it's like, ugh, I'd rather, you know, sneak a baguette in my purse. Well, I mean, you you travel all the way to Europe, and then you get, like, convention food. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. Uh, But anyway, back to the show, there were a lot of cool ingredients, so I had a good time. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist walked the show one day with me. Wow, that's amazing. Did you get him to do karaoke? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think he would do that. He refuses to do karaoke. We learned that in Vancouver. Hey, I I was looking at an article that came out of that show, and they talked about the 15 trends. Let's see if you saw some of these. Uh, sustainable greener, uh, so was there a lot of green stuff, sustainability, a lot of talk there? Well, I don't know if it was truly green, but they had a big section called sustainability zone. So I would agree. There was another one that said senescence. I don't know what that is, but, uh, uh, well, I think it was about putting your cells to sleep. I oh, feel yeah. like I saw some things about that, but I mostly focused on hair. I didn't get to focus a lot on skin. Sure. I'm. I try to think, like, I just don't think senescence is going to catch on in the beauty industry. Uh, How about fermented beauty? Did you see a lot of fermented beauty stuff? A lot of fermented products. And in fact, I think we even predicted that as one of the trends, or I could be making that up at the beginning of the year. Do you remember? I believe we did talk about fermented. We'll have to go back and check the show notes. But yeah, so all the suppliers are talking about how they're fermenting products rather than, I guess, getting it from petroleum, huh? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I personally like to drink my fermented products, but nonetheless. <laughs> sure. I'm just kidding. The ingredients are fine. I've got a, a gin fermented drink that I got right here. Uh, how about, uh, let's see, hidden damage was a trend. Repairing damage in hair and skin before it becomes visible. I, I think that's called prevention, right? I don't know how that's a trend. I I don't know. They're, they well, they they were making an article with fifteen trends. <laughs> they had to come up with something. Did you see stuff about baby Botox? What? Wow, baby Botox. What could that uh, be? I I wouldn't say that's a trend. I feel like maybe there was one thing at the show about that. 
According to this article, they said it's millennial trend of getting Botox treatments to stave off wrinkles so they don't look like their moms. (laughs) Wow. I I don't recall seeing that at the show. There you go. Just a couple more here. The microbiome. Yep, lots of that. The encouraging people to sleep for beauty and skin health. I I don't know how that's a trend. Well, I did see a lot of overnight stuff oh where yeah people okay. were I guess trying overnight. to say overnight this ingredient works i did see some of that how about marine sourcing did you see a lot of algae products i did i did mm-hmm. there you go lots and of fin- stuff from the sea and finally hair and scalp care that's it's all about the scalp I, I would say this year there was a lot of hair stuff you know some years it's like not too many so i guess i would say it was a pretty hair forward show oh well, that's good. Although you also had your antenna tuned to seeing hair stuff. Yeah, I blocked out cosmetics a right. little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, I tried to stop a couple places because I'm a consumer. So I'm like, sure. what's this? It's sparkly. And then lots of skincare. But I mean, you wouldn't have time to see the show if you did hair and skin. So. Right. My favorite part of those shows is uh, all the little the little candy bars you can get at all the stations. <laughs> yeah i personally like uh the espressos they're like would you like a coffee i'm like yes i would thank you i tell you what when we went to europe we did a little europe trip in italy every morning my wife was uh she's gonna get her espresso (laughs) at home she doesn't drink that but (laughs) when you're in when you're in europe (laughs) espresso all the time espresso and gelato every day in italy you have to watch out because they take espressos all day and when i go to italy for work i keep an espresso counter because even me a seasoned professional in espresso drinking you could easily suck down seven seven or eight espressos a day well every two hours they're like hey do you want to take an espresso and all the employees go out and you know have one but uh yeah it could be very dangerous See, I'm I'm fortunate, I guess, because I'm I'm a tea drinker. I don't really drink coffee. It's it's never a problem. With, but but I love the gelato. <laughs> <laughs> nice. On Wednesday this week, we uh, did get to see each other. We participated in a debate through the IFSCC webinar series, and this debate was you going head to head with Dr. Crystal Porter on transparency. That's right. I took the, I think, the more difficult position of saying that we don't need more transparency. We have enough transparency in the beauty industry, which seems like a, a, you know, a challenging side. But I guess my point was that there's a lot of information that consumer. It's not going to help consumers if they knew that. If you're not a professional in toxicology, how is it going to help you to know that? you know, the LD50 uh, in rats of some chemical is, you know, th- 10 parts per billion. <laughs> like, how does that help anybody? Uh, and I just also think that when it comes to the amount of information that companies share, they they kind of will share so much information that you get overwhelmed that consumers, then they it doesn't help consumers make better decisions. It's, it helps you make worse decisions. And that was kind of my position. Her position was that it's more information is better no matter what it is. And I can understand that if, if you're a, a person who likes a lot of information and you read all of those uh, warranties and all of those, uh, you know, yeah, like you, yeah. Valerie, you, you read those. Uh, yep, I do. It's very those, important. 
lawyery terms or whatever. I, no, I just sign at the bottom and say, terms of service, go, okay, fine. <laughs> have, have my data. What are you going to do? It's just too much information makes me unhappy. I think, and I, I wasn't really allowed to have an opinion per se, but I think, you know, a lot of people aren't experts. And at the end of the day, the information is being given to you for a reason. Uh, and it's usually yeah. a marketing reason. And for so sure. you have to think, okay, well, why are they giving me this information? And do I understand the context in which it's being given to me so that I can make a different decision? And honestly, the answer is usually no. And not that brands should withhold things, but as you said, like, how is it going to help that person make a different decision outcome? Um, and it's probably not. So I think at the end of the day, giving people more information isn't really going to answer their question because the question is not going to be answered by giving them the information. They're they want to know something that really needs to be explained to them versus being an information dump. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I also think when it comes right down to it, companies are in the business to get you to buy products. And they might do it under the guise of educating the consumer. They're only educating you in a way that makes you want to buy their product. They don't want you to buy somebody else's product. They want you to buy their product, you know. And I don't think companies are a reliable source for teaching you about the products that they want you to buy. You need an outside source, an independent source. You need the beauty brains to talk to you about what can you really, <laughs> yeah. what can you really believe? Because you need somebody who is not financially incentivized to make you buy a product. And I'm not sitting here saying that a company can't give you good information. Certainly everybody gives you good information. They just bias it in a way that makes whatever they're selling the most appealing thing. And then that now that, that is not necessarily in the best interest of you as a consumer. Exactly. Well, I thought it was a great event. I think the people enjoyed it. Incidentally, if you are a patron, you know what happened, Valerie? For our patrons, I posted the video of that web of the webinar of the debate, so our patrons can actually watch that debate whenever they like. Just so, if you want to be a patron and you want to see that debate, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheBeautyBrains and subscribe at any level, and you can see our uh, our debate that is normally only. Uh, uh, allowed for IFSCC members. Well, that was very kind of us to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's head Quite. over to some beauty science news. Valerie, I saw this amazing technology, or at least the headline was amazing, but you know that company Kao, K-A-O? Yeah. Who are, yep. I think they're in the United States, they're headquartered in Cincinnati, but they're also they yeah. they're a Japanese company, famous for uh, Jurgens and the Sheer Blonde. Was it John Frieda? The Sheer John Blonde. John Frieda. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Famous for those brands. And they also own Goldwell for all Goldwell. of our stylist uh, listeners. Yep. Oh, sure. Well, they launched a, a space inspired sheet type dry shampoo, um, which is. I guess it's a, a a sheet. Is it like a dryer sheet or something that you rub through your hair yeah. and it works as a shampoo? No water required. 
which seems like, you know, they say it's the 3D space shampoo sheets. So I guess it's what they use on the space uh, station or something. So they talk about how uh, shampooing on the International Space Station is very challenging because you can't use water. I could imagine that. Mm -hmm. You don't want the little droplets of water splashing around. And so they made these sheets, and now these sheets are available to regular people. Um, (laughs) Does this sound like a breakthrough uh, to you? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll tell you that I almost had to work on a concept like this one time. Uh, Someone in marketing had almost You almost had to go up to the space station? What? (laughs) To do the research, yeah. No. Uh, You know, someone in marketing said, you know what, I have an awesome idea. And this would happen every time a new marketing person would come in. Sure. Uh, Someone invariably always had this idea. And they said, I want to make a dry shampoo, but like a dryer sheet. And before I would even work on it, I would say, before we invest any resources, I want you to take this sheet and try to rub your scalp with it and let me know what you think. So you you gave him like a bounty sheet or something like that? Uh, I told him to take like a dried out wet wipe or something oh, like gotcha. that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And I would say, you know, try to get in there, get your whole scalp. What do you think? And always they would come back and say that was just a very inconvenient, terrible experience. So (laughs) while this is very cool and it has a lot of meaning, I don't know how far it will go with consumers. I'm seeing the advertising now. Inconvenient and terrible experience, but (laughs) it's a dry shampoo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the astronaut seems to think it works well. So maybe, maybe it does, or maybe he doesn't use a whole lot of products. I mean, compared to what else you could do in space, it probably does work pretty well. But compared to what you could do on, like, <laughs> yeah. not in space, <laughs> I'm not sure yeah, how, how awful it would be. But, hey, you know, it, it probably uses less water and probably is more environmentally sustainable. So we'll see. That might be the way that we have to go with products in the future, uh, considering how things are going with the environment. Maybe. Well, I saw a story about the most successful celebrity beauty brands. You know how we love celebrity beauty brands? And you know which one is the most successful, at least according to this article? Well, I think I also saw this article. Right. You read the article, so you know the answer. And the answer is... Rihanna. Of course. The Umbrella Girl. Does she go by the Umbrella Girl? Ella, 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 my Um, umbrella. No. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to say this in the article that was published in Happy, she's she is uh, she is identified as the umbrella singer. Is that is oh that like her gosh. number one hit or something? Um, well, I don't know if it's her number one, but I I think maybe some of our readers at Happy Magazine would resonate with that right. reference. Uh, well, that's right. Well, they, they did the clever subheadline, the umbrella, uh, the umbrella, and uh, now I'm from Long Island. Uh, <laughs> no, the umbrella singer is making it rain with her wildly popular cosmetic line. It turns out that... Yeah, I think they just wanted to use a clever, clever yeah, byline. Yeah, very clever. Well, it turns out that the Fenty line founded by Rihanna has got annual revenue $582 billion. That's and uh, so that makes it, according to them, that makes it the the best-selling celebrity line uh, on the planet. It's uh, very hard 
to be a big brand like that takes a lot of investment, takes a lot of money, and publicity helps if people know who you are. Five hundred eighty-two billion. That's that's pretty large because I was thinking, you know, when I worked at Alberto, our goal was to create to to only work on brands that were billion-dollar brands. And originally, mm-hmm. when I started at Alberto, I worked on the Tresemme brand, and it was a fifty million dollar a year brand. You know, fifty million dollars not nothing to sneeze at. But they eventually grew it to be a billion dollar brand, and that was a big deal. Well, here we're talking about a five hundred eighty-two billion dollar. <laughs> wow, that's huge. I think that has to be a typo because that's got to be it. That 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 can't be right, right? Five hundred eighty-two. Okay, but bill- even let's say five hundred eighty-two million. That is a okay. big, 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 big brand, yeah. and I think uh, it still takes a lot of money to generate that kind of revenue, and I think having some celebrity helps. I think an ordinary person like me or you would have a hard time doing that. Well, for sure. Well, you, I mean, I could probably do it, but, you know, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, come on. No, but, yeah, you know, you're right. There's no way that's a $582 billion. That's got to be a, that's a million. It's got to be a million, right? Because didn't that's Cody, yeah. Cody bought Kylie Cosmetics for, like, a billion dollars, right? Like, one billion. Yeah. Hell, I mean, the yeah. cosmetic industry in the, the entire world, the cosmetic industry is only like 600 billion. There's no way that Rihanna's is, is. Okay. Happy. You, you messed up, Happy. There's, there's no way this is correct. Well, pretty impressive. Um, and uh, congratulations to Rihanna for sticking around because I'll, and- I, I'll, a lot of those celebrity beauty brands uh, sort of launch with a lot of fanfare and then kind of die off right mm-hmm. i'm looking at yeah, you uh they do. what's her name the the happy place with the cbd she was in the good place she was oh, also yeah, veronica she's mars married to dak shepherd dak shepherd uh, that's it she's blonde see, we oh. even forgot who she is oh come on Kristen. Kristen. is it Kristen something or bell Kristen bell yeah, we did it. We did it. We did. We put our two minds together. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Oh. Oh well, I'm sure her products were wonderful, but they're gone. Um, but Rihanna's <laughs> is still wow. around. As is Kylie Cosmetics. Although I'm wondering if Cody is really happy about how much money they spent for Kylie Cosmetics. We'll see. It sticks around. I mean, they're still we'll the Kardashians yeah. are still super popular. Yes, they are. I don't see it going anywhere, but that doesn't always mean the investment pays off. Does not. You know, Valerie, last time when I was doing my solo show, there were two stories that I mentioned, and I wanted to get your response to that. First of all, remember that L'Oreal lawsuit where somebody sued them? It was a class action lawsuit, and they sued L'Oreal because L'Oreal was (laughs) claiming to be from Paris, but they were actually made in the United States. Oh my gosh, even though the headquarters is in France, it's right. whatever. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, that lawsuit got thrown out. Surprise, surprise. Hey, well, that just demonstrates to you that anybody can make a lawsuit about anything. It doesn't mean there's any validity to it. I'm thinking of things like when OGX was sued because they thought DMDM was making people's hair fall out. Uh, again, it, it wasn't mm-hmm, happening, mm-hmm. but you could just file a lawsuit for whatever 
And speaking of that, J&J, we've talked about this lawsuit a lot, but they are looking to settle. They have put up just around $9 billion in a settlement case uh, where they're going to pay out people who have claimed that the talc has caused cancer. You know, this is very reminiscent to me of what happened with Dow Corning back in the 1990s. Dow Corning was the company responsible for creating silicone breast implants. And a lot of people sued them for whatever health uh, problems. And it was very similar here where there was no, there's no good scientific evidence that says that silicone breast implants cause health problems or even that talc is causing health problems. However, there's enough of a story that it can convince a jury of non-scientific people that there's a problem here. And Dow Corning ended up having to pay out a lot of money and eventually going bankrupt uh, until the science came around and said, you know what, no, there really isn't a correlation or there isn't any uh, cause that the silicone breast implants were causing these problems. But the science came much later than the settlement. And it looks like J&J is, they're trying to cut bait here, and they're saying, well, we're going to pay out this money, even though we don't believe that talc is causing these problems, but it's easier to spend <laughs> $9 billion, apparently, than to fight these lawsuits. It's it's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, well, I think for Johnson & Johnson, I think that resolving these cases is going to take a very long time, decades and decades, yeah. and it's going to have significant costs. It's going to tie up the legal system. And at the end of the day, most claimants won't ever receive any compensation and in fact have spent more money than they would have ever won um, in these lawsuits. And so sometimes just wrapping it up in this manner is the easiest way to uh, get this over with. And I think this is probably the best thing that could be done. Regarding the L'Oreal Paris lawsuit, I was so happy uh, to see that Judge Torres threw this case out saying, uh, not that it was frivolous, but basically a mere reference to Paris is insufficient to deceive a reasonable consumer (laughs) regarding the manufacturing location. And uh, I feel bad for the plaintiff whose name is all over the place for this uh, frivolous Frivolous lawsuit. Ugh. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> they took their chances. This kind of reminds me. like <laughs> They rolled the dice. <laughs> when, when I worked on Tresemme, you know, Tresemme implies that it's from France, doesn't it? With the Tresemme, is, it's not French, but it sounds French. and It has an accent over one of the E's. Right, right. But also in all of the TV commercials, they were like, Tresemme, Tresemme. Ooh la la! Like they wanted to make it. They wanted to talk. They wanted to convince people that there was something related to France in this product. But it, there's nothing. It was made in Melrose Park, Illinois. There's there's nothing French about it. And it also reminds me, like I was on another brand, uh, the Saint Ives brand, Saint Ives, where they yep. wanted to talk about Switzerland, Swiss herbs. It was made in Culver, California. There's, there's nothing French. Or there's nothing Swiss about St. Ives. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Culver City, that's right. I knew people who worked at the facility. Yeah, right. it, it happens in the beauty industry all the time. It's like, come on. This, this lawsuit was ridiculous. 
Well, um, hopefully everyone can move past that. I don't think, you know, this uh, lawsuit being thrown out is going to slow anyone down. Uh, Frivolous lawsuits will continue to abound because it's an easy way to make money. Well, let's uh, head over to beauty questions. We've got a lot of audio questions today, but we're going to start with just one email question from Susan, one of our patrons. Susan from Patreon says, Hi, Valerie and Perry. The other day I ran out of my nighttime face moisturizer, so I substituted Eucerin Calming Lotion. I woke up with really soft skin and began using it every night so far without any side effects. Is it okay to use this body lotion on my face? Also, what is your opinion of using a facial moisturizer with SPF 30 at night? Thanks for all your good information. Well, thank you, Susan, for being a patron. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. You get your questions higher prioritized than uh, any other questions that we got coming in. All right. How about this one? Uh, first of all, that last let's take that last question first. What's your opinion of using a facial moisturizer SPF at night? My opinion is it seems like a waste of time. You're putting SPF 30 on your face and then you're going to bed. So unless you're sleeping out, you know, unless you're out camping and using uh, dryer sheets for shampoo. um, (laughs) Or in Alaska or northern Norway, Sweden or Finland. (laughs) Right. Right. I, I do not see any reason why you would need a sunscreen while you're sleeping indoors, right? Overnight? Do do you see any reason? I think the only reason somebody would use one is if it was all they had, or they only wanted to buy one moisturizer and use it for day and night. But I would say I probably would not use an SPF moisturizer at night unless I were super desperate because one, the uh, organic SPF filters, which are your avobenzone, octanoxate, that kind of thing. Sure. They're intrinsically uh, greasy materials, and they may transfer to your pillow, or uh, I, I don't know if they're comedogenic, but maybe they'll clog pores. Right, They do right. have an intrinsic odor. Just probably not a pleasurable experience to use at nighttime. And then if you're using inorganic filters like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, they literally sit on top of the skin. And so I could imagine lots of transfer to the pillow. So unless I had sure. absolutely nothing, I probably wouldn't use one at night. And the SPF does not provide any benefit. Unless you're sleeping in the sun, I see no benefit at all. Exactly. What about user and calming lotion? Body lotion on your face. Huh. I don't really see anything wrong with this scenario. What about you? Well, I think we talked about that maybe a couple shows ago. And somebody had asked Mm -hmm. about facial products and body. Yeah, body lotion is kind of the baseline of all lotions, right? Now, facial lotion is you put extra, you take a body lotion and you put extra stuff in there. And maybe you take out some of the extra moisturizing and such at a body lotion. But I think it works pretty well that a body lotion could go all over your body including your face whereas maybe a facial lotion you wouldn't put all over your body well from a cost perspective certainly not of course price very differently yeah but from a toxicology perspective and this is what we mentioned a few episodes ago is that 
A face moisturizer is designed to go in a very tiny amount of surface area of skin, whereas a body lotion goes everywhere. So generally, your body lotions have lower use levels of ingredients to uh, help uh, safety. Whereas a face moisturizer, if you have a ton of niacinamide, you really shouldn't put if you know you're maxed out at 20% or whatever, you right. might not be able to put that all over your body. So I would say you can go body to face if you can handle it and you're really loving the performance, but I wouldn't necessarily go face to body unless I had like a dry spot or something like that. I don't know if I'd go on an ordinary basis, head to toe. Also the pricing I just mentioned, I mean, facial moisturizers are pretty expensive. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that <laughs> there is that. So uh, but uh, so, Susan, I think using your Eucerin calming lotion on your face, I think it's perfectly fine. And I'm going to make a note the next time we need lotion to pick that up because I think everyone loves really soft skin. I really prefer my lotions to be uh, loud and obnoxious, not very calming. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, let's, let's head to our next question, which is an audio question. You know, it's loud and obnoxious. This uh, this black cat that I have called Puffers. Every single morning, this cat is like, you ever hear a cat still at it? Oh my god, he is so obnoxious, (laughs) and all the other cats hate him too. It's it's ridiculous. Although I will say, he is one of the few outdoor cats that let me pet him. You can pet him a few times, and then he'll sort of swipe and try to scratch me. But other, but I think he, I think Mm -hmm. we're bonding, (laughs) Mister Obnoxious. Good, good. All right, let's move on to another question. (laughs) Well, our next question comes to us in the form of an audio question. Hey, Perry and Valerie. I am Chimaka, longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I wanted to know about the different proteins that are in hair conditioners or hair-strengthening treatments. Um, I particularly want to know about the use of creatine as a hair protein treatment. Um, I currently use the CurlSmith Bond Curl Rehab Salve, and its fourth ingredient is creatine, which is the main protein. And I just want to know how creatine compares to other hydrolyzed proteins, such as hydrolyzed silk or hydrolyzed wheat protein for hair treatments, and whether it is in any way superior or different. That's all. Let me know. Thanks. Valerie, I know you're a huge protein fan for hair products. Not as much a fan as me, but uh, what do you what do you think about creatine? <laughs> well, creatine's very interesting because it is uh, a protein for sure, but it's really an amino acid derivative. Right. And in hair products, it works a little differently than hydrolyzed proteins. So. Uh, creatine actually has some ability to penetrate the hair and help build uh, different types of bonds within the hair. So I guess you could say it's a bond builder. Um, It specifically builds what we call electrostatic bridges, which are these uh, temporary forces that are holding hair together. And there really is some great data that shows uh, creatine can help reduce breakage of hair improve the strength of bleached hair. And it, in some instances, is better than a hydrolyzed wheat protein, which is really the hallmark of a strengthening protein. So it's a little different in that it helps, uh, it partially penetrates the hair and can provide these attributes. Whereas a wheat protein uh, forms a film on the outside of the hair. And depending on the wheat protein, there can be some 
uh, penetration, but typically it's an outside protein. So I think it's a great choice uh, for your hair products. Additionally, creatine has some thermal protection studies. Really? Yeah. Now I have to wonder when you're when you're talking about hair strengthening. Mm-hmm. Is it is it strengthening the hair by uh, you know supporting or, or reinforcing the protein? Or is it strengthening the hair by making it less likely to break? So a comb or a tug is going to slip right by it rather than if you pulled the single fiber with, say, an Instron machine or a device that pulls fibers and measures forces. Is it stronger in that way or is it stronger in like a combing way? Well, I think they did combing studies for this. So that's a great question. And they did uh, 500 cycles of uh, combing and looked at broken hairs, uh, at least with bleached hair. Uh, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, so I would say the latter. Um, for the hair de- um, thermal protection studies, they just did a denaturation temperature study Okay. So they uh, straighten the hair with a flat iron uh, with a control, and then after applying this product, and they even looked at it in um, combination with uh, one of their silicones, so it was a little misleading. Uh, but they uh, <laughs> right. saw that the denaturation temperature of the hair was uh, modified to allow protection, which was uh, pretty nice. Well, so it sounds but of like... of course, uh, in conjunction with the silicone. <laughs> Sounds like if you're going to put a protein in your hair, throw in the creatine. It's a nice one. It's a really nice product. All right. We're ready for the next audio question. Yeah. Hi, Valerie and Perry. I'm a longtime listener of the show, living in sunny Florida, but I love using self-tanning foams and lotions because I can get a nice tan without the UV exposure. What is the best way to know if a self-tanning lotion will give me a nice brown color as opposed to an orangey finish? Secondly, a lot of the instructions will say to rinse the lotion off after a certain amount of time, like one to four or eight hours. Is this really necessary? And at what point does a self-tanner stop uh, absorbing into the skin slash darkening the skin upon use. Finally, why don't more big drugstore companies that already sell lotion sell self-tanner? I see Jergens and L'Oreal in the game, but other big drugstore name brand products don't have a self-tanner. It seems like a very limited market unless you purchase from a small company like Isle of Paradise that makes a wide range of self-tanning products, but very little of other things. Isn't it just a matter of adding a special ingredient? Thank you so much. All right. Is it just a matter of adding a special ingredient to get a self-tanner? I mean, on some level it is, but then it's more complicated. It seems like it could be that easy. Yeah. Yeah. Self-tanning is very complicated to formulate because it's reactive chemistry at the end of the day. So... Not but just, everyone, uh, just to, I would say not. To, just to do the short version, the ingredient that makes it work is an ingredient called DHA, dihydroxyacetone, or there's a, what's the E one? Erythralose. Erythralose, yes. 
<laughs> you had that right at the tip of your tongue. There you go. Those are the two main ones that are used to create this effect. Uh, I think we've talked about it in the past, but and it seems like, okay, you have a lotion, you just dump this thing in at some percent, and boom, you have a self-tanner. But it's not that easy, is it? No, it's not. In fact, DHA is really complicated chemistry, even though it seems so simple, because it's reactive chemistry. And so there are a lot of formulation parameters around creating a self-tanning product. And in fact, not all cosmetic chemists can do it because it's very difficult. And typically experts are uh, doing this formulation work because there can be a lot of complications. Yeah, there's so many ingredients that could interfere with this effect. Now, as far as the question goes, how do you know if you're going to get a brown versus an orange? And the the short answer is uh, you don't know. <laughs> the you don't. The longer answer is if you're getting a product from a big corporation like Cow or L'Oreal, uh, they've done a lot of tests on consumers to optimize their formula to get a color that is, for most people, uh, closer to brown than closer to orange. However, even big companies like that, the products might give you that orangey color just because of your specific uh, skin protein composition. Exactly. So what's happening is the DHA penetrates into the skin and complexes with the proteins in your skin through a reaction called the Maillard reaction. And it turns this color. Now, how much DHA that penetrates and your own chemistry will impact if it's more brown or on the orangish, orangish side. And of course, erythrolose can help modify that but unfortunately uh, you have to use the tanner to figure out how it's going to work on your skin yeah yeah now she wonders uh do you really need to rinse it after a few hours i would say yes because not all the dha is going to penetrate or the erythrolose active so unless you want to have a lot of transfer to your clothing your couch your sheets i would say rinsing it is probably a good idea yeah um and that's the thing. The chemical reaction continues on. You put it on the skin, <laughs> yep. and it, the reaction starts, but the reaction is not a very quick reaction, as you see, and it can happen after a lot of hours. And at some point, you've got enough orange, or you've got enough brown. <laughs> Ideally, you've got enough brown, uh, and you don't want any more. And so there's still chemical on there, and rinsing it off really is important if you want to stop the chemical reactions. And as far as how long does the self-tanner keep working, I mean, I guess it keeps working until it runs out of protein that it can get to. Um, so Yeah, it takes it, several hours to develop. Yeah. And some people say it's two hours. Some brands say seven. Some say 24. Um, I, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's really just a long time. So I would at least leave it on for four hours. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, once you get to that brown level you want, then rinse it off. You know, I enjoy using self-tanning lotions. I just don't have the patience to prepare my skin beforehand, to apply it, to wait for everything to dry. I do like the smell. A lot of people complain about the smell, but I actually enjoy how starchy it smells. Wow. Um, but you just feel so cute when you're tanned. Should we get uh, fake tans when you come to <laughs> L.A. next time? 
we should we should get fake tans in LA. We really should. I've never been professionally spray tanned. Have you ever seen that episode of Friends where Ross goes to a spray tan and he <laughs> and he only gets yeah. a spray tan on one side? <laughs> oh my goodness! It's, it's well, I think that would be really fun. It, that oh would be fun. Next time we're next time we're together, we are doing it. All right, we have uh, an email question here. This one comes to us from Marlena. She says, "Hi, I look forward to your episodes more than any of my Netflix or Hulu shows." Oh, that's nice. I listened to your episode mm-hmm. where you talked about blow drying versus air drying damage. That was uh, probably episode three twenty seven or three twenty six. Anyway, uh, you know, if we were more professional podcasters, I would have looked it up for the show. But uh, yeah, you know, we got we do what we can. All right, she says, I am a hairstylist, and I have some clients with healthy virgin hair that can air dry no problem, but if they have long, lightened hair, air drying can leave it frizzy, dull, and feeling like straw, especially the ends. I tell those clients to blow dry their hair rather than air dry because the porous hair will hold on to the water longer and leave it in a more compromised state longer, which leaves it looking and feeling less healthy. When blow-dried with a heat protectant, it's actually softer, smoother, and shinier. For curly hair, there is also a lot less frizz when blow-dried. And for thick hair and hair with extension, air-drying can also cause some mildew at the scalp. So, she wants to know, am I giving them correct advice? Thanks for all your information and education. It's so much appreciated. Well, thank you, Marlena. Okay, air dry versus blow dry. Is it sometimes okay to say blow dry? I think so. I mean, at the end of the day, your hair needs to look good so you feel good. And if you're not happy with your hair when it air dries, then by all means, blow dry your hair. Marlena, you are correct that if your hair has been lightened, it does hang on to water a lot more because it has the ability to absorb more water. It's more porous, right? And it can take longer to air dry, which is uh, very true. Uh, but at the end of the day, hair that's been bleached and you know fried and, and lightened or hair that's really damaged, at the end of the day, it has a compromised cuticle. And so you want to blow dry the hair to help align the hair fiber, make it really smooth looking and hair is going to be softer, smoother, and shinier just from that effect alone. Same thing with curly hair. Of course, uh, curly hair has different shapes. And so not all of the fibers are lined up together. And so when you can blow dry them and create what we call fiber alignment, where the fibers all lay together nicely, it's going to look uh, less frizzy. So I definitely recommend Uh, blow drying the hair with a heat protectant in order to get the water out of the hair and keep it looking healthier. Yeah, I, I agree. And although I have to wonder, are people really going to develop mildew on their scalp if they air dry? I don't know about that. That would be very interesting to look at from a microbiome perspective. And maybe someone has done the work, but I would guess if you have like really, 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 really thick hair and the scalp can't ever dry. I don't know if it's mildew per se, but maybe, maybe you have something else going on for sure. And with extensions, if you can't ever get into the scalp, yeah, if it never yeah. gets to dry, then I guess it could develop mildew. I just find it hard to believe that someone would have hair 
that never dries. But, you know, you know, I'm talking with my short, thin hair. So what do I Yeah, or maybe the scalp does something to regulate that. I don't know. But I actually haven't seen any information on that. It would be uh, cool to look at, especially if they can take swabs of the scalp and fact check that. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, Marlena, great question. You're on track. And do you hear that, Perry? I think it's uh, time for us to sign off. Yeah, speaking of track, that there, there's that music that we're so familiar with. <laughs> By the way, Perry, did you know today's episode 332 marks the halfway point between me and Randy? So after next week's episode, there is no excuse for anyone calling me Randy. <laughs> That's right. But today we'll give everyone a break. I have to say, there's probably tons of listeners who don't even know who the hell Randy was. <laughs> but Randy was oh, the yay. co-host. He was the co-host for the first 166 episodes. Valerie has now done more shows than Randy. I will also well, add I've done this. equal shows. Well, I will add this from a time standpoint. Randy and I, when we did the show, we would do like a 20-minute show. You and I, we do 40, 45-minute shows, so you already recorded more minutes than him. I feel (laughs) like a boxer champion with my arm being raised. And you use the products more than he he or I did, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) I win. Sorry, Randy. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review that's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer and if you have a question please record it on your smartphone and email it to us we love these audio episodes send it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com also if you like what we do and you want to support us and you notice we don't have a lot of those commercials like you find in other beauty podcasts and other podcasts i'm i've listened to a podcast and i'm like oh this is great this is good and then the stupid commercial i'm like i didn't want to hear a commercial well we don't do commercials the worst and is the when w- they change the timing on the commercials so you can't uh, fast forward it exactly, exactly. oh that's the, the worst. worst that's the worst well you don't hear any commercials on our show mostly because we want to be able to say whatever we want to say about brands and if we're supported by a, an advertiser you know that sort of limits what we can say so but to do that the show is not free to do and we like to uh, get support there so if you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe also don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts on instagram we're at the beauty brains 2018 on twitter we're at the beauty brains we have a facebook page and a tiktok we're still squatting on TikTok. I, although I have to say, I see the TikTok stuff and I'm like, this is terrible. I, I can't believe I don't know if do we'd it. know how to do it. I know. <laughs> we oh, we can figure that it out. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>